I'm Angela Kennecke, a veteran journalist with 30 years in television news and an investigative reporter. But for the purpose of this podcast, I'm just a mom trying to find my way after the loss of a child in the opioid epidemic. I am grieving out loud, using my platform on TV and on social media to try to stop the stigma of addiction and get more people into treatment so that no other family has to go through the devastation that I and my family have experienced at the loss of our 21-year-old, Emily. I'd like to welcome Governor Christy Nome to the podcast today. Governor Nome has made battling meth addiction a priority uh, during her new administration, and recently the state of South Dakota came out with a controversial anti-meth campaign that's been getting a lot of attention, and we're going to get to talk about that a little bit in a moment. But first, Governor Nome, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast this morning. Okay, wonderful. It's just, it's wonderful to be here and to talk about something that's so important to so many families across South Dakota. You know, I've covered you as a journalist when you were a congresswoman and now as governor, but I got to know you a little bit better. When I spoke at your son's school, I told Emily's story there, you introduced me. And then I was so appreciative when you stayed to listen to me tell Emily's story when I spoke in Pierre a few months ago. So so thank you, first of all, for your attention uh, to the problem of addiction and to what it's costing so many families across the state. Why do you think it was important for you to listen to Emily's story? Well, your story and Emily's story is extremely powerful. And when you have a testimony like that and are brave enough to share it, it will change lives. So when you have traveled across the state and been to so many different schools, I have heard over and over again from people about how impactful it was. Uh, And then you came to the Hamlin School District, which is where my kids have gone, where Brian and I both went to school. And uh, that day uh, was such an honor for me to introduce you because I can't even imagine the difficulty of going through what your family has gone through, but then standing up in front of hundreds and thousands of people and uh, trying to relay what that was like um, takes an incredible amount of courage. So uh, it was such an honor for me to be able to introduce you to the kids and to people that I've known for generations that were there to listen to it. And, uh, and schedules um, were difficult that day, and I had to leave before you were done telling your story, but, uh, which was why I made sure that when you came to Peer and spoke on the addiction conference that I had the time to stay and listen to the entire story. I had done a lot of research and read and followed um, you and so much of the information that you've been able to bring out to the public uh, in the last year, but to hear you personally tell it, I think is life-changing. Well, I think whatever we're dealt in life, we have a choice in how we respond to it. And if I can create meaning out of something to me that seems so meaningless, the death of my daughter, create meaning through that, by helping others, by making sure maybe one person gets help. That's that's why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. you know, you don't exactly. always know. I think the way that you tell it, too, it's so genuine. So people feel as though they were right there in the middle of it with you when you're talking about it. And they can see your mother's heart, and then they also see the fact that there's a call to action with it, which I think is what really will make a big difference in so many people finally stepping up and asking for help and healing. You know, when you talk, I've heard you speak about making meth addiction a priority, battling it, trying to get a, um, you know, our arms around it, trying to get a handle on it, trying to get people help. And you speak a lot about seeing and talking with law enforcement and seeing that end 
um, of the spectrum. But you also, when I heard you talk in peer, you have personal connections. And I, I think there is no family that completely escapes addiction in one way or the other. Can you share with us that, that personal story that you told the audience in peer? Sure. I, and I've tried to be very careful about telling my story. Um, you know, I've got family members, obviously, that have struggled with addiction, um, some alcoholism, some other types of addiction. Um, probably the most powerful one that that has impacted me and personally was a foster brother that I had the chance to grow up with that struggled with addiction. And I've tried to be careful telling his story just because he does have family. He has family in South Dakota that um, loved him and cared for him, and, and he has three children that um, are still, you know, out there telling their story as well. So, um, but his name was Kenny, and he came to live with us. I believe when he was 12 years old, I was much younger than that, and uh, came uh, to stay with us. My grandparents would pick him up and take him to church on Sundays and then found out about the situation he was in, and my mom and dad opened up our home to them and eventually became his foster parents. But I, I just remember our family kind of struggling with what he was going through. He had been in an abusive situation, and uh, a lot of the information and details of that situation, are, we as a family did not know and were not told at the time. And as he grew up and became a teenager, um, you know, abused alcohol and drugs and eventually uh, lost his life to um, an accident, a motorcycle accident, where he hit a bridge when he was, um, you know, doing drugs. So it was, and at that time he had been married. His wife had died the year previously. Um, very tragically as well, and she had struggled with addiction, and they had three beautiful children that then went to live with other family members. But our family was walked alongside them through all of that while they were growing up, getting married, having babies, you know, watching the struggle with addiction and, uh, you know, the, the reaching out for help but not quite being able to get over the the challenge of it and then also what it felt like to be a family in that situation where you want to know what you can do um, yet you feel so hopeless so many times too so you know remembering all of that and what our family went through I think gives me a glimpse of what some other families have gone through because when we opened up our home to him um, you know we opened up everything our hearts and invested our time and love into him and and uh, so I know for my parents it was very much as though one of their own children was going through it. It is so frustrating for families of those struggling from substance use disorder and while a lot of attention is being paid to this problem now because of the number of deaths, overdose deaths in this country and has continued to increase you know dramatically I think there's 192 people that die every day in this country from overdose, um, often that's opioids. Sometimes it's from meth and, and other substances. But I think the problem is so overwhelming and so big. And, and I know the state is trying to do something with that and putting together this anti-meth campaign, the, the meth, we're on it. I'm on meth, you hear some of the people in the commercials saying, and, and it, 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 it is provocative and it, it did get a lot of attention nationwide, often the brunt of jokes. And just speaking as a mom and as someone who has been just working on this issue tirelessly since the death of my daughter, even before that I was actually doing stories about the opioid crisis and different addiction and also meth issues. I mean, addiction is addiction is addiction, right? But what concerns me, um, I guess as a mom, is that 
half the population doesn't believe addiction is a disease. And I used to think that way mm-hmm. myself. My grandfather is an alcoholic. I, when he would talk about, he was an AA, started AA in Southwest Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he would talk about it being a disease, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, it, it's a choice. You, you, you choose to drink, choose not to drink or do drugs or whatever. And I think half the population still feels that way. And I've tried so desperately to educate people that it is a disease because now we understand it so much better, that it is a disease of the brain, that really this substance, no matter what the substance is, it hijacks the brain. And mm-hmm. I'll let you answer my question, and I'll quit talking, but my concern no. is that um, with this meth campaign, that it just if it makes addiction the brunt of a joke, would we say cancer? I've got it. Would we say diabetes? You know, I'm on it or something like that. Or I just wonder if it minimizes the effectiveness because of the way it's phrased. Yeah, I'm I'm concerned about that too. I mean, I am. Um, I think that uh, when we talked about doing an awareness campaign, we knew what had worked in the past, what hadn't worked. South Dakota has done this in the past and invested mm-hmm. hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars into awareness campaigns, and our problems only gotten worse. So we studied that. We looked at what had worked across the country. We knew that we needed to have something that called the community to action and that gave people hope and that it would be a campaign of several phases um, and that we had to make sure that people sat up and took notice. Um, I tell everybody who made a joke about it, um, almost shame on you, because that means that you didn't even watch the commercial. Because if you watch the commercial, it's obvious that the, that we're not making a joke of it, um, that it is you know, healthy people, a part of their community, that are deciding that they're going to be on the challenge of addressing meth in South Dakota. And so most of the people that I saw making a joke of it, um, you know, they didn't watch it, they didn't look at, at the entire... Um, commercial that was out there talking about it and getting people's attention. Uh, but I also recognized that it it was provocative. It was very different. And I told people for a year that if we did this, that it was going to be a campaign like they hadn't seen before in our state to hopefully wake up everybody. And And that is what happened. I know that there's been criticism, um, but we've also had a lot of results too and as we move into phase two which is the call of action that gives people real steps to take to help those in their life that are struggling with addiction i think in the long run you know we'll see some amazing things happen but but yeah the rollout was um was was i would say good and bad and um i'm hopeful that that we all can keep an objective mind and see what kind of results and families can heal and people that can step up and get help after coming uh, to the problem of this. I've, I've heard a lot of stories, dozens and dozens of stories of people who started joking about it and then it went into a bigger conversation around the kitchen table or at the gas station or something and then they ended up having a conversation about people that in their family that are struggling with addiction and and had conversations that they never would have had if the con- if the campaign had never happened, and that's really what we wanted to have. So much of addiction is dealing with shame, and uh, people don't get help because they're ashamed of the situation that they're in. So the more we talk about it, the more common it becomes that we're dealing with addiction and talking about the real disease that it is and have those types of information and gathering and and out there with the public, I think that we'll see more and more results, and hopefully we can break down some of those barriers for folks. 
Will you make any tweaks to the campaign based on some of the reactions? Well, the, the this original phase was intended to go like it did during the holidays because so much of the um, advertising is expensive over the holidays. There was intended to be a little bit of a break, and then we come out with our call to action. So it is a real step-by-step plan of what people can do if they have someone in their life that they know of that's struggling with addiction. And we're focused on meth in South Dakota because that's overwhelmingly still our problem. We have a lot of opioid issues as well. Um, We have, you know, other addictive substances that are abused in our system. But for us, we have twice the national average of meth users between the ages of 12 and 17. So our our problem is increasing, and we have to do what we can to turn that around specifically on meth. And what's terrifying now is that they're putting fentanyl, the dealers are putting fentanyl on almost every drug, including meth. And also people are using meth and heroin, you know, meth to come yes. up and, and heroin to come down. And it's just so dangerous. It's just so yes. dangerous. And, and the number of deaths from uh, from opioids has traditionally been higher than from meth, although people do die from using too much meth, typically from a heart attack or something like that. But, yeah. you know, it's a, it's all a problem, right? So we're dealing with so many substances and so many cross addictions. And it's just, it can be, like I said, so overwhelming. I do think that... Talking about it and being very public about it, at first I was worried about the effect on of that on because there's so much shame and stigma as we've talked about, mm-hmm. and then we talk about maybe this campaign making a joke of something that shouldn't be joked about. But with Emily's own siblings, um, my my youngest son was is Booker's age, I think, and um, mm-hmm. he he was pretty embarrassed, you know, for, for his sister to have died of this because he felt it was a reflection on him. But I was so proud of him. He was at Boy State, and he got up and he asked you a question. He said, in front of 200 of his peers, he said, my sister died of an opioid overdose, and he asked you what you were doing about battling um, addiction and substances. And, and I asked him what you said, and he said, you talked about meth. And I said, it doesn't matter because, because it's all yeah. the same thing, you know, because well. as long as we're doing something and we're talking about it and we're taking it seriously, that's the first step, right? Yeah. Well, and for me, you know, in South Dakota, so when I, I was in Congress, when we passed the opioid bills that gave quite a bit of funding opioid to states to fight, to fight, yes, uh-huh. that, um, so so I had worked on that extensively to, to get that done and across the finish line so that states would have some resources to really fight opioid addiction. And so we do have dollars coming into South Dakota for that. Uh, we recently received $2.6 million in a grant uh, to fight opioids in, in the state. So our Department of Health is using that to go after that. I think I tend to talk about meth so much because it is such a big problem with so many people, and I don't have those kind of resources to fight it. I, I, there, there's nothing that's come out of the federal government to help me fight meth. And I think pe- people don't realize that 80% of what goes through our court system that deals with addictive sub- substances is meth. So um, the vast the majority point, is... I'm, I'm oh, sorry, does the $2.6 million, does that include, I mean, just fighting addiction in general? Can some of these funds that are coming from the federal government, I know they're opioid-related, but we mm-hmm. talked about cross-addictions. I mean, can some of that money be used? just for treatment in general, do they specifically have to target? I've asked for waivers to use some of that money for meth addiction and haven't received the waiver authority to do that yet. Hmm. Um, so what we'll, what we'll be using it for is to utilize safe prescribing practices in South Dakota, make sure that doctors are prescribing safely. We'll help fund some community coalitions to implement opioid um, 
activities. And then obviously if we're doing that in communities, they're going to focus on other drugs as well. Um, and then we'll get and help support emergency departments to handle, you know, fatal and non-fatal drug overdoses, you know, look at their policies. Uh, alternative pain management programs are things that we can look at and fund through those dollars. Um, there's a avoid opioid campaign that right. we have that we're using on social media, so we'll expand that and push that on the opioid side as well. And then partner with first responders and public safety folks so that they have the tools they need to really rescue people when they're in a crisis situation. So all of that uh, we can we can focus on, on on the opioid side, but they do kind of tie our hands on, on just, for instance, supporting an, a campaign or activities on one other specific drug. It was really driven to focus on opioids because it's such a problem across the country. I get messages from parents all the time asking me that just that desperation that we talked about just last night. A uh, mother wrote me a message, and she said uh, she has a daughter who is 29. She writes, we've been trying to save her from herself since she was 14 years old. I feel as though I have experienced so much, JDC, probation, treatment centers in Huron, Belfouche, VOA, Sioux Falls, worth more to name the sum. She's done three prison stints. I have done an IBC and involuntary commitment on her once years ago, and I'm consider considering doing it again. But where mm -hmm. to send her? Question mark. I love her very much, and I mourn the girl she was. Yeah. I mean, just tragic. And I can relate to this because, I mean, Emily didn't go through all of this, but some of it, you know, just mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to help my daughter. And, and I lost that battle. I'm worried this mother is going to lose her battle. What right. can we do? What what do I tell this mother? I, mean, I have parents approach me like this every day, yeah. and I don't know where to send them. I don't know what to tell them. Well, we have – I just sent a letter to every judge in the state asking them to consider, um, instead of sentencing juveniles to prison, to consider sending them to programs like Teen Challenge. You know, Teen Challenge is a long-term commitment, um, and but it is something that doesn't just focus on punishment. It focuses on the whole being as an individual and getting counselors and help and people to walk beside you. Now, Teen Challenge a lot of times only take young males. So mm -hmm. for young females, we're trying to expand that with them um, but it is a better alternative than incarcerating people who have a drug addiction and get caught up in that. We also, um, you know, have added uh, four specific meth highway patrol officers to DCI agents to keep the meth out of our state. One of the problems that so many of these families have is that it's everywhere. It's so easy to get. And if we can make it harder to find in our state, um, certainly that'll help. But last year during my budget address, I asked for more money to put into treatment programs and money that we could use to, to partner with nonprofits like Teen Challenge to open up more access for individuals that need some help. And the legislature did grant those dollars. So those um, treatment centers and facilities are being stood up. And specifically for teenagers, I think you said her daughter was 14 years old? Well, she started when she was 14. She's 29 oh, okay. now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now. So years yeah. of years of um, struggle. So mm -hmm. we we will those treatment um, expansions are are coming online in South Dakota now. And so so many of the times, you know, what happens is if they have to leave the state for treatment, um, when they come back and they end up with the same people right. that the they people were friends with, things, right? yep, <laughs> yeah, they they fall right back into their old patterns. So it's nice for people to get treatment close to home so that there can be family counseling alongside of it, that there can be group counseling and you can learn to 
to change your environment, you know, right there where you're at. So that's really what we're focused on as well. Not just the keeping meth out of the state and not just waking people up to how they can support it, but also we've got to have the treatment options because we can't, you know, find somebody who's in crisis and say, yeah, you can get in six months from now. You know, that's, that's not an option. Right, and it's the only disease where denial is a huge part of it. So getting mm-hmm. someone to go to treatment is another whole chapter yeah, in this story. Exactly you know? right. Yeah, and that's exactly right. So many ineffective, you know, so many attempts at treatment often. Um, you know, recovery is just such a tough thing. I, I just wish we had more answers scientifically um, on this issue that we could better help people in general. You know? Well, and one of the one of the things that I have um, talked about, what, what really gave me a passion for this, was spending time with law enforcement and watching some of their body cam footage of what they ran into in South Dakota and being in small communities and, and watching them go into homes, um, you know, that they got a 911 call from. The kids are crying and they're um, upset and, and they called 911 because mom has lost it and she's, you know, beating her head against the wall and throwing things and the kids just don't know what to do. And, and these are in some of our smaller communities across the state of South Dakota. And that's what really woke me up is that, you know, people are walking by these homes every day not knowing what's going inside, going on inside. And we're we're expecting these children to grow up and be successful adults, and um, you know, and and to contribute to our state. And if we don't pay attention to what kind of environment that they're on, that they're in every day, then we we won't be able to see that happen for them. So for me, it really was focusing on strong families and the support that kids need to be successful, and then really seeing what kind of environment so many of our kids are living in today. You know, over 80% of the women in our state prison um, are dealing with addiction. And, um, you know, I, I heard quite a bit of feedback from some of them, too, on the meth campaign. You know, they were, they were some of them right away didn't like it. Some of them uh, did think it was time people woke up to the kind of struggle that they have with addiction and, and what that creates and problems for their family and their lives. And so, um, you know, the, the campaign certainly did get people talking. And do you think we need to do a better job within our prison systems? I'm, I'm currently um, profiling a woman who's also talking on my podcast who became an opioid addict after gastric bypass and mm. has just had nothing yeah. but trouble for the last eight years or so and is about to serve her second stint in prison, mm. um, says it's really, really tough to get any real treatment in prison. Yeah. It's Prison the place for, for, I mean, the crimes go along with so much of this use. I mean, how do we solve that problem? Yeah, I don't think we do enough in our prison system. I've talked with my team a lot and my Department of Corrections team and to see what we could do. And, you know, there's, there's different challenges that have happened. Um, sometimes they're not incarcerated long enough to complete a program. Then when they do complete a program, if there is one available to them, then when they leave, they have no support system. And so that is one of the things that we are, that I'm tasking them with is we get a plan for um, while people are, are under the umbrella of our Department of Corrections, that there is opportunities for them to get uh, addiction counseling, opportunities for them to um, have an opportunity to learn some new patterns or behaviors or tools that they can utilize. And then when they leave, we have to connect them to somebody that was willing to be a a mentor, an accountability partner, a nonprofit that cares about helping them get back up on their feet. So many times they get released out of prison and they don't have a job. They can't find housing because of their criminal record. They 
can't support their family, and then they're immediately back into the same tragic situation that they were before. So it's a comprehensive solution that we need, uh, but one that I'm convinced that we have to be serious about because if people are sitting there uh, in prison um, and not getting any help, I, I think we're doing them a disservice. And I suppose it comes down to money for it those types of programs. It does, and, and we want it to be effective. So in the past when South Dakota has done stuff, um, it hasn't been probably comprehensive enough to really turn people's lives around, you know, to have mm -hmm. it, you know, most of them are in um, incarcerated not long enough to complete an entire program. So as I said, we get mm -hmm. somebody halfway through the program and then they're released, um, but we could build it out better with an infrastructure that puts those kind of tools in place so that they can continue with that once they're released as well. And looking at other options for alternative treatment. Our drug courts are incredibly helpful. Um, you know, we've had our DUI courts as well. We have a mental health court as well, which is something I think is incredibly important because so many times with a certain yeah. population in the state, if they have mental health issues and they don't get the kind of diagnosis or help they need it right away, it ends up in an addictive situation. So those alternative courts are very powerful because it builds in the accountability and, and it's not necessarily just putting them in prison. Well, mental health and addiction certainly go hand in hand, whether it's the yep. chicken and the egg, it's, it's hard to say, but definitely those, those two issues, you know, go hand in hand and need to be looked at comprehensively. Yep. Well, I wanted to just uh, thank you for your time and for your attention on the issue of addiction, whether that be meth addiction or opioid addiction yep. or alcohol, whatever it may be, it, it, whatever we learn and whatever progress we make in this area, definitely going to benefit all families who have family members experiencing something like this. Well, thank you for, for you focusing so much of your life and time and heart on this as well. And I know where your passion comes from. Um, I'm hoping that we um, can breathe that passion into so many people across the state of South Dakota. And that's what I think that people will start to see uh, from our state is um, a real call to action now coming forward where they will know specific things that they can do when they see someone who is on meth, and I've encountered people who were on meth before I've talked to them when they were high on meth, I think many of us at times just recognizing the signs of addiction are incredibly important and then knowing what to do when you know someone who is fighting addiction and what actually works and what doesn't work is incredibly powerful. So that's really the tools that we want to give to every single South Dakotan so that we can see better results than what we've seen in the past. Right. That's the tools I want to give to them, too, and that's what they're asking for. You know, every right. day they're asking for that. So Yeah, but, I've been in that situation, too, where I'm talking to someone, and I don't know what to do. You know, you just, you're, you're not sure you don't know this individual very well. You're not sure where to send them to get the kind of help that they may need, and I don't want anybody to be in that situation anymore. Right, right, right. All right, well, thank you so much again for your time. I, I appreciate the work that you're doing in this area. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Angela. I believe we can all learn from each other as we walk through life, and by sharing our suffering, we can lessen the suffering of others. Until next time, wishing you faith, hope, and courage. To read my blogs and join us in our mission, just go to Emily's Hope at paintingapathtorecovery.org. Also, please rate and review this podcast. Thank you.